Welcome to Veterans in Academics. This podcast highlights people and topics where the veteran experience and academia overlap. Join your host, Dr. Luke McLeese, in this groundbreaking content. Each week, we explore new stories, topics for you. All right, Jim. Well, thanks for being here today. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, sir? My name is Jim Craig. I am a professor at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. I'm currently serving as the chair of the sociology department and as an associate dean as well. But in relation to this, I'm retired military. I was a U.S. Army infantry officer for 20 plus years. Awesome. And, and I bring that experience to academics. Kind of, it's, it's so much of who I am. It's hard to not not have it as a part of your next, you know, my next move. So I appreciate you having me, and I'm happy to to work through these questions with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so you're off to a great start here because obviously the amount of time you were in the Army is definitely going to inform your work. And like you said, it, it, it's, it's hard for it not to. So these are some yeah. things we definitely want to explore later. That's great. So, Jim, tell me, from your point of view, since you, you have so much experience and, and you're in this position that you are in academics, what is something that military veterans do really well in academics? First few years on my campus, so I got here about 2013, I really worked closely with the student veterans. I mean, like, I helped establish the campuses. UMSL, UMSL is our campus, University of Missouri, St. Louis. I helped establish our vet center, and I really worked with the university systems to help veterans, uh, help them understand veterans. And I can tell a story about that a little later when the time comes. But what I've found, veterans underestimate their ability to just be students. They are good at it. And sometimes they come in with this sense that they're not. They achieve at levels equivalent or better than our standard adult learner students. They have a set of skills that allow them to engage with people who are older than them, who know something more about a topic than them, but that doesn't make them better or worse. So I find that their engagement with professors, when they figure this part out, is really, really good. Uh, I find that they're, you know, we can go to the data, but their passing rates are well within the standards of adult learners, even a little better. Right, usually better, yeah. Usually better, right? And sometimes they don't believe it, right? They've been told for so long, even campuses have been told for so long that veterans are a population that need special attention and bubble wrapping and super services. <laughs> you know, there are some, but there are also some regular students who need those. So uh, I think what are they doing well? They're, they're being great students. They're graduating. They're getting jobs. They're contributing to their communities at rates at or better than their peers. It's fantastic. That's awesome. That's all. And I mean, really, what more can you ask for, right? Right, right. Absolutely. So, so that's definitely very insightful for a positive. Now, for the flip side of that, what is something that, that you might see that either the student veterans or that mm-hmm. the academics that are teaching these veterans, someone in any echelon, what's something they could improve upon? Yeah, so I'm going to start with student veterans. They don't tell their stories very well, and they get frustrated when, I I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with a young vet, vet, with a new student vet who is in my office or in the vet center with a cup of coffee and saying, they don't get it, they don't understand me. 
And I always respond with, what have you told them about you? Like, how can you expect them to get it if you don't tell them who you are, what you are, what you think? And you're willing to receive information as well. This is a two-way street. So yes, they need to work towards getting you, but you need to work towards getting them. And you need to be willing to tell your story, not seeking a very specific response, sympathy, empathy, right? Pedestal, you know, worship, whatever that response you feel like you want, don't look for it. Just take. Vets have trouble with that. Vets don't like talking about themselves. A lot of times they've been told that their experiences are unfathomable by others. You can't know you weren't there. Help me. Help me know, right? Let me, that's where I think we could do better. Man, absolutely. I could not agree more. I've I've actually encountered that same exact phenomena uh, time and time again, semester after semester. And it's it's always the same type of scenario that you've explained. It's a really it's a maturation, I think. And I'm not saying veterans are not mature, but it's a it's a it's what happens in college too. Your worldview changes. So I'm being very general about a veteran experience. But you went from a, a small worldview, you joined the military, your world opened up. But it didn't open everywhere. It opened in this frame. Right. And if you come back to the university, you have to allow your world to open again. And then maybe those two can go together and you can really, and we're all working on that, right? Keeping our eyes open. Absolutely. I think that very uh, aspect that you just pointed out on on a side note would be a great paper, by the way. You could start working on that. (laughs) So Jim, tell us some about about your military experience. Like what what prompted you to join? And then after you joined, what was your experience like in the military? I have a family history of service, as do many, many veteran service members, right? I mean, we know that the number one propensity to serve is a family member in service. So my father served and my father is a West Point graduate in the 50s. And we had a family rule that said everyone, I have uh, three, two older brothers and a younger sister. Everyone in my family must apply to a service academy. You didn't have to go, you have to apply. So my older brother did, he applied, promptly got rejected and went on with his life. And then my next brother, same thing, got rejected or didn't put anything into it and went on with his life. And then I did the same thing and I got rejected and I got pissed off Uh because I thought I was worthy. Right. I ended up going to a military junior college to try to get my grades up and get reaccepted. And I did. The next year I got accepted to West Point and I went to West Point assuming I would quit after the second year of two years of free education and move on with my life. And I just never left. Uh, I never left the academy. I graduated and then I'll do the same thing in the army. And it took 22 years to get me out of there. And now I have a guy, um, I don't know if you can hear this, but there's someone blowing right outside my door. <laughs> this is like the 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 work from home experience. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I did 22 years, just under tw- just under 22 years of service in the infantry, but I've had a very interesting career because relatively early on I did an odd assignment in ROTC, which is not normal. So as a young lieutenant, as a lieutenant, I got sent off to an ROTC detachment to train uh, college kids. And that detachment was at Berkeley of all places. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So I got sent to Cal Berkeley against my will because I wanted to go lead troops. And uh, right. it turned out to be just a fantastic assignment. Right. That's awesome. So having to teach makes you better at what you do. Absolutely. Uh, and 
those students, while you might think they're crazy, liberal, non-military, they're fantastic, right? They're working hard. They care deeply about the country and their service. And it was great. I, I just learned a ton. And so I always thought I should go back to ROTC in some way. I ended up being able to do that at the end of my career. Oh, so in the last, my last assignment, it wasn't supposed to be my last assignment, but my last assignment, I had the opportunity to come to St. Louis and be the professor of military science on the college campus at Washington University. And I assumed I would spend a year here. My, this is where I'm from, letting my parents, my kids' grandparents get to know their kids. And then I'd move back out into the army and do another deployment and do the things that you do. And we actually got, we, I, my wife and I actually, you know, got our next assignment and we were going to command a battalion. I remember coming home and telling her we got where we wanted, going to do this. And she looked at me and said, when are they deploying again? And I said, oh, well, of course, in like three months. And it's like, well, we didn't get what we wanted. That's uh, not what I need. And she didn't have to say anything more. I could see it. I could sense it. Priorities change. And uh, that's okay. So we decided to retire rather than accept that next assignment. And, um, and here we are in St. Louis, uh, and it turned out to be a fantastic decision, uh, right decision at the right time. And it allowed me, just by happenstance, the opportunity to move into academics because uh, 2012, 2013 is when institutions really started realizing, oh, my goodness, we have all these post-9-11 veterans. Right. Uh, and we don't know what to do about it. Uh, Re-realizing this because they all did it in the 70s. Right, absolutely. Right? Right. And some of them did it in the 40s. Yeah, so it ended up being a great, great thing. Awesome. So so when you when you transition that 2012-2013 timeframe, what kind of position were you were you doing at that time? So I was the so I was the professor of military science in the St. Louis area. Because of that job, I had connections on all the college campuses in the area. So we had these satellites. The University of Missouri-St. Louis is one of them. It's the public uh, university in the St. Louis area. I mentioned this in the beginning. I'll tell you a story. So the chancellor and the dean of arts and sciences called me when I was still in uniform because they didn't know anybody else in uniform. And they said, and I'm going to quote the chancellor at the time, can you help us fix our veteran problem? And that was a quote. Oh, wow. And I was kind of like, what is that? The yeah. veteran problem. And he's like, I don't know, but they're not happy and they're not graduating. And it turns out what had happened is a set of veteran students wheedled their way onto the dean's undergraduate advisory board. Uh -huh. So there's seven seats on the dean's undergraduate advisory board. And they got themselves by scheming together over beer, probably. They got four seats. I love it. Right. And then they them. drove the agenda. And every meeting they talked about this thing that was happening on our campus. So on our campus, you couldn't register for your classes until you could confirm your benefits. And you, we know we can't register your benefits until, until you're registered for your classes. Right, right. So they literally had this duct tape and bailing wire system set up where the SCO and the, reg and the advisor would be on a phone together and push the buttons at the same time. Oh, wow. They just like, this is ridiculous. We shouldn't have to do this. And so they got onto the dean's board and they just started beating him up every month at every meeting. And they didn't let anything move forward until he addressed it. And so, so what they did is they called me. And, and here's a big assumption that people have that a person in uniform understands better. In it. Right, right. <laughs> it's not right. true. I encounter right? that every day. There, there, there's so much 
mix and yeah. some assumption. Right. You're right. There's no yeah, So they're like, so oh, you you're in uniform. Tell me, how do we solve this veteran thing? And I was like, I have, I don't know. I'm, I haven't used GI Bill. I haven't been to a college campus to, to take a class in, in a decade. I don't know. But what I can do as a military officer is research it and build a figure out who's doing well, call and talk to those institutions that are doing well. By the way, St. Leo has been doing fantastic for a long time on these things. Absolutely. That's we, we have that reputation. You really do. And, and for a long time, like in the early 2000s, I think they're really in the front of this. And then build kind of a, I'm going to use a staff action packet that says, here are the strengths and the constraints. And here's what I think you asked me to do. And here is a decision, a set of potential decisions you could do and where they would come. I didn't know that I was doing a job interview. I thought I was just doing a staff action. And uh, and I gave them that. Uh, it was probably about six months out from when I was retiring. They didn't know I was retiring. And then about four or five months later, they had heard that I was retiring. And they essentially called and said, can you come do that? That thing you gave us, we need someone to do that. Right. That's great. Uh, That's great. How do you turn that down, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. You can build your own job autonomy, support from the chancellor on down. Uh, you don't have any staff or anything, but I can, I can work a phone or a computer as good as anybody. Right, right. Well, and it helps when, when, when you have that from the top down and they know there's a need. Uh, and, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, tying that to the GI Bill, that's a big motivator for a lot of institutions. It is, right? So we spent a lot of time talking about the dollar signs of the GI Bill. But I told him, you don't need to, uh, and I think this is still true, you don't need to recruit. So we'll never be, I'm going to use my chancellor, shouldn't his, we're middling state university, right? We're the regional, uh, the people who come to our campus come from about a 50 mile radius. And, and there's a lot of people, so there's a lot, of, but we are never going to be a 1,500 person, 5,000 veteran campus, right? There's only 10,000 on our campus. We're going to be able to kick around four or 5%, which is a pretty good number. But at the time we had about 200 vets and we weren't graduating any of them. And I said, if you focus on recruiting them, you're going to make a mistake. You need to focus on keeping them. And guess what? They're going to tell their buddies. And if one tells two, you've doubled your size. And that's kind of about where we're at and we're willing to spend and it turns out in two years, we went from 250 to 400. Uh, so we didn't double in size, but pretty darn close without yeah. adding any staff but me, right? So they hired a person, which is a legitimate investment, but without adding. And then we started tinkering on the edges. Let's move the school certifying official into the vet center, change the vet center from being a day room lounge space to being an academic space where veterans can come and do their homework and have a, an experience with people who are like them at the same time. But let's open it to anybody as well. Let's, let's start hiring veteran staff because of their success as veteran students, not for any other reason, right? right. So only juniors and seniors, right. only people who have done well. And in the interview process for the veteran staff, we, start, we ask them about who are they connected to on campus? What clubs are they parts of? How's their major going? Instead of asking them about how they did in the past, let's talk about how they're headed in the future. <clears throat> and then we get this, uh, it's, it's, do you remember that old show, The Dog Whisperer? Uh-huh. Right? So right. it's the power of the pack. And if you have a couple of leaders in the pack who demonstrate the, the, here are the behaviors that are acceptable and here's how you move forward. And I care for you. 
uh, and I want you to connect you to this professor because I'm connected to this professor, then young new students come in and they're like, oh, that's how you do it. Right. Because they don't know any better. They just know the behaviors they've been told. That's awesome. And wait, that last part, since you brought the dog whisper, yeah. when you were explaining that, I, I heard in my head like a Caesar Milan type voice as you. Yeah. <laughs> no, but really. So now tell me, how did, how did you transition from this, this vet center role into the classroom? Yes. Good question. Cause it's a little amorphous even to me. So I, uh, about, about a semester in, I thought there was a potential to think a little deeper about. So if, let's get, so I'm not a PhD. I don't have the academic training, deep academic training that a most of the professors on our campus have. But I just thought, you know, this might be an interesting thing to teach and learn about. So I started working on a class just called Veterans in American Society or Veterans in America. And I just started like thinking about who was doing this stuff. And to be honest, uh, EKU, right? Uh, EKU really started this. Yeah. Uh, and there were a couple of people at EKU, Luke, like Travis and others who were also thinking about this at the same time, separated like these little oil spots all around the country. Right. You know, the power of the internet and email and uh, you just start to figure out that there are people doing this from a sociological perspective. And then there's these people over here who are doing about thinking about helping veterans become better by writing. And then there's people over here doing public policy. And then there's some people, uh, you know, doing history and it just exploded. And I had this class and I told the dean, I would love to teach a class. I know I'm not a professor. Let me teach a class. So he said, sure, build that class out. I built it and we wanted to put veterans and non-veterans together in the classroom and let the vets like get chip the pedestal away and bring the vets down and bring the civilians up or somehow level the bubbles and let people talk to each other. It just, it was fun. It turned out to be a great class and I'm still teaching it. And from that course, I was able to, they let me teach another course. And then I ended up building a, a curriculum that we called veteran studies. So we, we still have it. It's a minor on our campus. Uh, it's designed to inform other activities. I don't see it still don't see it as a major field uh, discipline because it doesn't have its own like research methodology. It doesn't, doesn't have its own canon of literature yet, but it could be. Yeah, I, was I mean, it, say, it's, it's coming. It's it could coming. be right. I mean, right. Uh, we're, we're working on it. Right. It's still so young. Um, it's right. So what we don't have, which is different than ethnic studies or the various blank studies, is we don't have a clamoring of the students to study themselves, which is interesting. Like, so if you go to uh, California and the Chicano and Latinx studies, there there is a, a groundswell that created that, right? And women's studies was part of that. And then, you know, the other... So we don't have that. Veterans aren't haven't figured this that they can study themselves. I think because they don't think they're worthy yet, or no one's told them this, or I don't know. I don't know, but I think we need that somehow in order to really drive it over the edge. Uh, but maybe I mean there are there are now I don't know seven or eight veteran studies programs around the country, and uh, they're all in the certificate. To there's there are some programs that are about uh, veteran services that's different than veteran studies. Right. Um, I, I will train you to get a job in the VA. I think a veteran studies program can train you to get a job in the VA just as good. 
you just, don't the, you just don't know the paperwork numbers, Absolutely. the form numbers. Yeah, so it's it's been fun. As small programs on college campuses do, they get reorganized and reformed. This veteran studies program got subsumed under the sociology department on our campus. Yeah, you know, the next thing you know, a couple of years later, I'm the chair of the sociology department because right. somebody retired and everyone stood back like this and I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> and, uh, and they got you, huh? And they got me. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I have some, the military's given me skills mm. of, I would never claim the mantle of great leadership, but they've given me some management skills and they have given me some training that I think has come in handy. I'm still learning the academic culture, but leadership is leadership. Right. Right. And sometimes leadership and academic culture just means you got to slow down you got to slow down a little. Just slow down, but yeah. it doesn't mean you can't don't have vision. It doesn't mean right. and let people the understanding of military leadership I think is a misnomer. I, I never worked well for a boss who yelled at me. Yelling doesn't work, right? And I tell people like it doesn't work. That if you're a non-yeller and you yell, it'll work for that moment. So do that very judiciously, right. right? Right. But if you do that all the time, then it's been really interesting. And, you know, after being the chair of the sociology department for a couple of years, the dean asked me to work on interdisciplinary programs. So I've been able to see a college campus and the, the business of higher education from another perspective. So I'm keep growing, keep learning. Always have had a foot in the military and veterans programs. I still will. Uh, I'm, I'm actually the the person who reviews joint service transcripts for our campus still. Uh, and I, I don't want to get, I want to build systems so it runs itself if I get hit by a bus, but I don't want to give that up. It keeps me connected to what students are coming in. And All right. and I see names and I'm like, I remember your name, that kind of stuff. Right. That's great. Yeah. That's great. And that connection that counts for leadership and that counts in the classroom too. So sure that's, does. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So you in your time in the military, you just talked about how it definitely informs your, your leadership in academics. Talk to us some about some of the research that you you put forth in and around veteran studies and 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 how it has really influenced that. Uh, like I said earlier, I'm you know, I'm not a trained academic. I mean, I've got a graduate degree, but I'm not a you know, I never wrote a dissertation, that kind of stuff. But I, I feel like the military taught me how to see where I'm trying to get to and and design a path to get there and understand the terrain that you're getting to get there. So using very infantry centric, like I, I know that hill I need to get to and I know it's downhill over here and uphill over here. I know this is the path I need to take. I could do the same thing. So we've had this idea, this veteran studies idea. It's not mine. It's It was, you know, evolved organically all over the country. And then a very smart group of people put it together that I was lucky to be invited to. And they've created this small group of veteran studies scholars. Uh, Virginia Tech really kind of led the way. Uh, EKU was in it. Uh, and I was lucky to be in, invited into it. You know, we started talking about what is this idea? There were a couple of conferences that Virginia Tech led. And at the probably the third one, I, you know, they asked for papers. And I thought, you know, we need to bound this need to figure out what we're talking about. So I, I said, you know what, I'd like to write a paper for the conference just called Bounding Veteran Studies. Let's figure out what this thing is. It, you know, it wasn't a particularly daunting paper. It's just a literature review that said, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to define it. And then I'm going to do a literature review. And then I'm going to review that definition if we're right. So, you know, I reviewed 
veterans work in history, veterans work in public policy, veterans work in social work, people who are studying veterans in psychology, uh, people who are studying veterans in, in the humanities like English and writing, and in the business sector like entrepreneurship of veterans. And we try to put these things together and say, is that veteran studies or is that something else? Is that veteran studies or is that something else? And I think we came, I came in this paper to the conclusion that it's all of that, but it's but it's not everything, right? So veterans veterans research that's designed around the advocacy only of veterans, meaning I have I know what I'm trying to get to, and then I'm going to build research to get you there. I think is problematic. Yeah, right. So it's it's got to be research focused and research driven. I'm not saying advocacy is bad either, but if you have the outcome already and then you build the research, you're, the it's, whole it's the whole field that. could become suspect, and we don't want that. Right. And this exists in um, you know, a lot of this exists in the business world. You'll read veterans are fantastic employees, no matter what, and then you'll see a bunch of research that proves that, and then you wonder, you know. Why is the U.S. Chamber of Commerce funding that research? And is it true? Because I'm not, I, I know some veterans who will be really bad employees. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And we all do. Right. Because right? veteran status might not be the thing. It might be something else that makes you a good employee. I wrote this paper. It got uh, received fairly well. And then I, you know, interestingly, and I didn't know this, but people read that paper. And <laughs> like they call me right. and ask me about that paper and then ask me to help out with uh, designing a program, a veteran studies program, and I'm happy to do it and grow the network. So now there's programs at Arizona State, and now there's programs at uh, UC or California State, uh, a couple of California system schools. Right. Uh, you know, when you get a California system school, then all the other system schools are looking at it. So maybe there's a little snowball going downhill. I don't know. Right, right. No, absolutely. It's it's growing. Um, I, I saw one of the California, I think it was at Irvine. Irvine, uh, yep. Right. They, they just started. And then there was somebody, I want to say, in Utah who has started a certificate. So it's like every time I check, it's like every semester, there's someone new adding, you yep. know, either, either a minor or a certificate or something. So this is the power of the network. You know, I'm going to, at the end of this, I'm going to give you a couple more vets you need to talk to who are doing great work, right? And and then your network is a little bigger and somebody's going to listen to this podcast who's at, you know, Minnesota State Mankato and be like, we could do that. And they're gonna, like, this is the power uh, of the internet. This is the power of this network and the idea. It's a solid disciplinary idea. It's worthy of research. Absolutely. 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 So Jim, tell us, tell us right now, you've, you've obviously, you're obviously thinking, uh, you're very articulate about, about all these aspects and in, in your history. So talk to us now about some of the things you've, you're currently working on, some of the, some of the fires you're burning right now. I wish I was doing more. The, the pull of administration is very strong and the pandemic didn't help. So we were getting ready to put together the largest of the veteran studies conferences uh, in March. I mean, the the week we canceled the week before in like March 14th or 17th or something. And that conference was internet going to be international. There were going to be 150 or 200 people at that conference with 40 or 50 different papers presented. I mean, it was really amazing what had happened. My hope is to bring that back, 
right? Let's not lose, let the pandemic beat us. I'll be honest, I got beat down for about five months by my institution talking about budgets and furloughs and, and I didn't spend any energy on it. Right. And I was angry and frustrated and nervous just like everybody else. But we're back. And, uh, and that group that built that conference, it's not me, it was going to be on my campus, but it's not, is going to meet again actually next week. And we're going to start talking about what do we do and how do we do this in a way that's acceptable with the end goal of getting together again, because the personal connections are so important. Very. And it doesn't, you know, we don't have to be the SVA conference with thousands of people, right? right? I mean, I, I really enjoy an interdisciplinary two-day conference where I can go to a session on the uh, architecture and how that supports veteran healing in one breath and then in the next breath do a public policy around veteran services and just let my brain explode for a couple of days and then come back and, and you know you've been to these like it takes you two weeks to realize what you just did and then you're like here's my new ideas that's the great right. conference Right. And if you participate by adding a paper, great. Even if you just go listen, great. Doesn't matter. I'm hoping to do that, get that going again. I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm really interested in comparative veteran studies now. And uh, I'm interested in those cultures, those nationalities, those states that think of their veterans differently than we think of our veterans. And I'm wondering if a lot of that doesn't revolve around the social safety net. If healthcare is a given in your society, then veterans getting healthcare doesn't mean what it means to us right now. Right. Right. Or if service is compulsory in your society, then uh, someone who has served is not an anomaly. How does that change? And you can do that democratic, different democratic societies. You could do veterans of non-democratic societies versus. So I, I really think there's some space to try to research and think about whether we're that special as our country or what makes us different, uh, not better or worse, but different than others and why. And some people are starting to write about these things. And we had veteran researchers from the Netherlands and from Germany and from Japan and Taiwan who were going to come to this conference, which those were the panels that I was most excited about. Right. Uh, so I'm interested in, in thinking about that, which would maybe mean a couple of, once we can travel again, a trip to, uh, I don't know, some Commonwealth countries, because I know the language <laughs> to talk about veterans. Right. Uh, maybe some partnerships uh, in reading and, and doing a paper together or something like that. I think that's that's kind of where I, my head is right now. And that's an exciting, exciting place to be. Yeah. Exciting place to be. I, I love it. Well, great. Jim, this has been, this has been a wonderful uh, getting to know more about you and, and you sharing your experience with all of our listeners and talking about your transition from the military as a veteran and into academics, then all the hats you've worn in academics and, and all the things that you're building within veteran studies. Yeah. I really, really appreciate it, Jim. Uh, and for those of you who are listening, uh, we will link uh, some of the works that Jim was talking about below with the podcast. Join me in thanking Jim Craig for being with us. Thank you for having me. It was, it's been great. I appreciate it, Luke. Thank you so much. Guys, this was Veterans and Academics. I'm Luke McLeese. And until next time, thank you. 
We thank all of you for listening. Veterans in Academics is an all-veteran production of Freedom and Prosperity Think Tank. Content creation is brought to you by Dr. Luke McCleese and Dr. Michael Bevers. Web development is by Osvaldo Vargas.